stand out of reverence and awe for God and his word. Good morning. I'm Peggy. I'm reading from John chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's nice to start feeling some cooler temperatures. And for those of you outside, I'm sure you're appreciative that it's not quite as hot as it's been. So that's wonderful. My name's Corey. I'm one of the elders here at Redemption Tucson. And it's my privilege to, to get to bring you the word this morning. And we'll be continuing where we left off in John last week um, in the same, same conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. So if this was a, a TV series, we'd start with the last time on Redemption Tucson, and we have a little recap. Um, so we're going to continue and go through John uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 21 this morning. You know, as we get started, you know, one of the things when I was looking at this passage that, uh, and kind of Nicodemus's approach and, and conversation with Jesus I was kind of struck by my own tendency to be like Nicodemus. And I remember when I was a kid, I kind of had to understand how everything worked. I remember my parents had this, I think it was a Reader's Digest, like home maintenance little book for, you know, fixing your washers and dryers and different things like that. And I remember at one point we had a, a vacuum cleaner that died. And before we got rid of it, you know, I asked my parents if I could can kind of take it and disassemble it. And I remember sitting there with that book and the, and the, vacuum cleaner, taking it apart because I needed to understand how it worked, you know, and, and I look him through my whole life, and maybe you're like me, but I always approach things, and I need to understand how they work, and, and oftentimes why they work before I can really appreciate them, or use them, or, or accept them, you know, for, for what they're supposed to do, and, and I've built my career on this idea, working in the IT industry, you know, my whole career is built around challenging things, and and digging into problems and understanding why they work and trying to analyze them and, and break them down and, and to solve them. And, and it's been good. But sometimes when you bring that approach to God and to the things that God is doing and the things that God is teaching and that we see in Scripture, a lot of times we can find ourselves without realizing it being in the same place as Nicodemus, trying to, to make sense of everything that Jesus is saying or that the Scripture tells us and oftentimes through that missing and that's what we saw a little bit last week as is, is Nicodemus came to, to Jesus and he came in the darkness, kind of hiding himself a little bit, not wanting to show with his stature in, in Israel and within the, the, the Jewish religious structure, not wanting to be seen or, or to, 
for people to realize that he's coming to ask questions of this Jesus who some thought was uh, a problem. And so he came and he's questioning, as we saw last week, he's really stumped by the things that Jesus is saying. And, and rather than accepting, he's questioning, how can this be so? And we come into this passage, the last thing that Jesus sa- said to him uh, last week in verse 8 is, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit And as we come into this passage, you see Nicodemus is still struggling, and he's still questioning. And I wonder if we come to God that way a lot ourselves, and in so doing, we miss, just as Nicodemus is going to kind of miss what Jesus is saying. And so one of the things we want to look at this morning as we see how the rest of this conversation goes is just this big idea that we need to learn to just lift our eyes to Jesus, to be saved, to receive, to partake of who he is. And that while it's good to, to seek to understand and, and seek to, to, to know why things are the way they are, sometimes we just have to trust. And so the thing I want us to just keep in our minds this morning is just this idea to lift our eyes to Jesus. And so let's pray as we, we start to dig into this passage. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just declare that we are dependent upon you. And Father, we know that sometimes our own intellect, our own minds, our own desire to make sense of how you work and and how you're working in our lives can sometimes, like Nicodemus, lead us astray and that we we miss what you're saying to us. And so, Father, we pray that just as we look at this well-known passage, Father, this passage of Scripture that can almost become cliche in our minds, Father, I pray that you would help us to see it with fresh eyes. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, even as the Apostle Paul prayed, that we would know the love that you have for us, the depth of that love for us, and that we would see Jesus with fresh eyes, and that, Father, the simplicity of the gospel would ring out to us today, and that, Father, we would would come to you from wherever we're at today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump in. Starting in verse 9. As we said last, so we're continuing with Nicodemus, as I've said, and in verse 9, after what Jesus had just said about the wind blowing and the spirit moving, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? And you can almost see Nicodemus is sitting there going, okay, born of the flesh, flesh, okay, I get, okay, I'm understanding how that works, and, but born again, of the spirit, the spirit blowing. And you can see it's like it's almost got to be going around in his mind, and I feel like there might be this long, pregnant pause as he's just trying to make sense, and then you can kind of see maybe he's just kind of going, how, how can this be, Jesus? Like, this doesn't make sense. You need to explain it to me. And there's a sense in the way in which he responds to Jesus that's almost like, I'm not buying this yet. Like, I need you to explain it to me. I need you to break it down to me more. And then Jesus' response to him, if we take a look at verse 10 and 11, Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and, you do not, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, and just anytime you see Jesus say, truly, truly, he's, he's really saying, like, listen to what I'm about to say. Like, this is really important. He's getting, their, he's getting Nicodemus' attention, just like Dave talked about last week. I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? See, Jesus is looking at him saying, look, I've explained these things to you. We've been, John the Baptist coming before Jesus has explained these things. The prophets who have come before in the Old Testament have explained these things. There's so much of what is being said and that, that's led up to even this conversation that Jesus is saying, look, if I explain to you from the things that we have seen and done, the things that are tangible that you can touch and hold on to, and yet you don't believe, how then do you expect to believe when I tell you the things that are mysterious, the things that are intangible? When we talk about the things of the Spirit, how are you going to understand that? And it's almost like Jesus is kind of scolding him a little bit for for being so intellectual and so almost putting God on trial to make sense to his own mind before he can trust Jesus, that he's being called out for it. And Jesus is saying, look, I can explain this to you, but it's more complicated than stuff that you already don't get and already aren't accepting. So how is it that you think this is going to change anything? You know, and the interesting thing is that Jesus goes on to explain, not so much to, to make Nicodemus understand, but to help him to see beyond his own intellect, and his own reasoning to what God is doing. And the thing that we need to see, just kind of, I think, in the posture in which Nicodemus is coming and in the way that Jesus responds is we need to be careful that our need to understand things and our need to explain and, un- and, and grasp why and to even be able to judge that and decide whether or not we're, we're going to buy it can get in the, ver- in the way of the gospel. That if we aren't careful, our intellect can get in the way of our affection for Jesus. And even in our theology, you know, being a Reformed church, we take our theology and, and we're, it's something we hold dear. It's something that we, we spend a lot of time studying. It, it anchors so much of what we do because we want to understand Scripture. We want to understand God. We want to get it right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But even in that, because you have to realize, Nicodemus, he's, he's a rabbi. He's a leader in Israel He's a member of the Sanhedrin. I mean, this guy knows the scripture inside and out. He's seen in all of Israel as a very important leader. And yet his theology, his ability to grasp and understand scripture in light of what he's seeing in the reality of Jesus is getting in the way. And if we're not careful, we can allow all of those things, even the good things, to get in the way of seeing the simplicity of who Jesus is and what God is doing through Jesus. And if you remember back to the first sermon that we had that, that Dave was talking about in the, in the later verses of John, the reason why John wrote this gospel, if you remember, was what? That we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And if we're not careful, we'll let too many things get in the way of that. But let's move on now into the rest of this and see how, in that, in, in that kind of context, how Jesus then addresses Nicodemus and see how he explains. And in verse 13, where, where Peggy read this morning, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And there's a lot that could be said about this passage. There's a lot. It's almost as since you have Jesus who, being God, understands the scriptures way better and understands what's behind them way better than Nicodemus. And then you have Nicodemus being so learned that there is almost the subtext of everything that they're talking about in which there are allusions to other things in in Jewish tradition and and in the Old Testament. And so there's so much that we we could dig into here and to try to unpack and understand. But again, even with this passage, if we're not careful, we can overthink it. And so it's important to see that Jesus here is simply saying, look, there's no one who's been into heaven. There's no one who's seen these mysteries except the one who has come down from heaven who is the Son of Man, the Messiah. And we've seen that Jesus has already identified himself in that way. And then Jesus, knowing Nicodemus's understandings, appeals to the one thing that he knows Nicodemus will probably understand better than anything, and that's Moses. And you see that all through the, the New Testament as they talk about the Pharisees and their understanding and their, their zeal for Moses, for the, for the Old Testament scriptures and law. And so he says, he points he points Nicodemus back to Numbers chapter 21, and, and we won't go there too much for the, for the sake of time this morning, but I would encourage you to go read that in Numbers chapter 21 and read the context of that story and come back to this passage and, and just look at how what Jesus is saying ties into that more. But he appeals to Moses, to, to the story from Moses. He says, as, as Moses lifted up, and up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And what we see just briefly in Numbers 21 is the people of Israel having grumbled against God yet again in the desert. We see God getting fed up with their rebellious heart. And he sends a plague of fiery serpents, the scripture says, that essentially bite them and begin attacking them and makes them sick and some begin to die. And in the midst of that, they cry out. And Moses intercedes. And God tells Moses to to make a bronze serpent and to put it upon this this staff and to lift it up. And whoever amongst the people of Israel who have been bitten by the snake looks upon this bronze serpent will be saved. And Jesus is pointing back to that and saying, it's the same way. You know, how must you be born again? How are these things going? Jesus says it's the same as that. It's as simple as that. And he breaks it down for, for Nicodemus a little bit more and he explains For God so loved the world. And here we're not talking about the quantity of God's love for all of humanity, but we're talking about the manner in which he loves. How is it that God demonstrates and acts in his love for us? So it's almost as you could read this. God's manner of loving the world is such that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him Whoever would lift up their eyes like to the serpent, if you would lift your eyes up to Jesus as he is lifted up, should not perish but have eternal life. Why, you can hear Nicodemus. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. The Israelites in the wilderness were already bitten by the snakes. There was no need for for the bronze serpent to be raised up as an act of condemnation. They were already in that place of condemnation. And that's what Jesus is saying here is he did not send him to condemn, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's manner of love for us is such that when we're already condemned, when we're already bitten by the snake, so to speak, that he sent him Jesus, that he raised up a serpent in the wilderness, that he made a way. God's, God's manner of loving us is that even when we're sinners, Christ dies for us. You know, and it's easy to think like, well, I'll come to Jesus or I'll come to God when I get my life worked out because I got these things and I don't really, if I come, if I remember having a conversation with a guy one time, he said, when I get my life all worked out, then maybe I'll consider this Christianity thing. But right now, he's like, I couldn't come to God. He, he couldn't handle, you know, what I've done. And what the gospel, what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you're already condemned. Come, come. That's the manner in which God loves. And it's as simple is lifting up your eyes. And then Jesus goes on to explain a little bit more. He begins to break down why this is. Why does God love us and why does this need to make a way exist? And he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever lifts their eyes up to Jesus, who looks up, you know, if you're in, in, in the wilderness, whoever puts their eyes upon the serpent, the, the bronze serpent, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, the condemnation already exists. But when we lift our eyes up to Jesus, we can come out of that. But if we choose not to, we remain condemned. But why? Why is that? You can still hear Nicodemus and Jesus just anticipating these questions. And he says, this is the judgment. This is the judgment that God has on on the world, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. See, we're condemned already. And Paul says in, I believe it's Ephesians, that we are by nature children of wrath. We, come, we start in a place of condemnation, but Jesus is coming to rescue us. And the judgment is the light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world but people love darkness rather than light. How much do we like our sin far more than we want to admit? I know for myself, I find myself and I see the sins in my life, and I don't, on one hand I say I don't want that sin there, but then there's this other aspect that I'm like, I kind of like it. I kind of want that attitude to remain because it makes me feel comfortable or I want this behavior to kind of stay in my life because it, it meets some other need that keeps me able to, to stay in the darkness, to keep myself away from having to submit to all that God's calling me to. We like our sins way more than we want to admit. And that's what Jesus is calling out for every. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their works were evil. Because they weren't of God. You know, I think sometimes we hear that word evil and we think, oh, yeah, well, my stuff, you know, like I'm not like out killing people. I'm not out doing these horrible things that you see other people doing. I'm like, I'm really not that bad of a person. But when you see, when you see Scripture talking about evil, it's talking about anything that is contrary to God's will. You know, the Old Testament, there's, there's a, there's a verse, I forget where it is, and it just, it just came to mind, but it talks about drinking out of a dry cistern, a cistern that doesn't give water, and God calls that evil. It's when we seek from, 
from anything other than God, what only we can get from God. That's what he calls evil. And so when he's talking about here, don't just hear evil as like, oh, like really, really, really bad things. It's anytime we seek to meet the needs that can only come from God through something other than God. And we tend to prefer that if we're honest with ourselves. But Jesus is calling us out of that. And he says in verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, and that's like the, the guy I had the conversation with. I don't really want to come forward and, and have to confess and own these things about myself. Lest his works should be exposed. But then Jesus, Jesus brings it home. He says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The simplicity of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is simply lift your eyes. Lift your eyes up and see me. Lift your eyes up and see what God is doing. Come out of the darkness, Nicodemus. I wonder if it was lost on Nicodemus that is, as Jesus is talking about coming out of the dark into the light, that Nicodemus, I wonder if it triggers in his mind that I came to Jesus in the dark. We're sitting here, you know, in the middle of the night having this conversation and Jesus is calling, calling me out of my evil calling me out of the darkness, calling me to come to him in the light. And you see, just like Israel in the wilderness, you had to be willing to, to take your eyes off of your circumstances and lift them up to see the serpent that was on, the bronze serpent that was on the pole that Moses was holding up. We have to be willing to lift our eyes up out of our circumstances and see Jesus. We have to be willing to come out of our sin, come out of those things that, that we might want to hold on to because they feel more secure and come into the light, allow them to be exposed. It's part of why scripture tells us confession is good and why we have these time of confession in our liturgy because we need to bring those things forward into the light. And Jesus is saying when we do that, the condemnation is pulled away, that we are rescued and that we are saved, but even more so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, Scripture tells us that we are created in Christ to do good works. And we know that when we come to Christ as a church, we do good works. We, we go out into the community and we, we try to help and we, we minister to people and we do all of these things that we do. Those are the good works that Scripture is talking about that we are called to do. When we talk about caring for the widows and the orphans, righteousness and justice, praying for other people, ministering to the sick, visiting people in prisons, all of these things, these are the good works that we are called to do when we come into the light. But then I think this is, this is the thing that always has struck me with this passage, but that it can be clearly seen that these works, that his works, have been carried out in God. And the last point that I, that I think is, is crucial is that this is the starting point of everything that we do. We, we, we live in a cultural time right now where everybody's trying to struggle, is struggling with how to respond to what we see going on around us, from, from politics to health to just racial and cultural tensions and all of these things that we see going around us. And we can get caught up in all of that, and we can be struggling with how we respond to that. But the first thing we have to do is lift our eyes to Jesus. We have to get ourselves focused on Jesus. 
We have to point other people to Jesus and help them walk into the light because what Scripture's saying right here is that when we walk into the light, what's clearly seen is that all we do is done in God. And it's crucial that as we minister in our city and, and in the neighborhoods that we live in and in our workplaces and wherever we're at, that the work that we're doing is not coming out of our own strength, that it's not rooted even as Nicodemus is ministering and working from his own understanding and his own intellect of Scripture, but that it's coming from having seen Jesus, having been filled with the Holy Spirit by that encounter with him, so that when we go out into the world, it's clearly seen that what we do is done in God. And so I think as we look at this, it's, it's easy to come to John 3.16 and just kind of go, oh, for God to love the world that he gave his only son, but for whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. I remember growing up, it was always in the football stadiums watching football on Sunday. There's always some guy with a John 3.16 little placard. We still see it occasionally around. You know, it's easy to come to that passage that probably most atheists and who have never been in a church probably at least know that. And it's easy to see it as cliche. But I want to remind us this morning that what Jesus is saying in that is God has made a way because he loves us in such a manner as to not leave us in our snake-bitten, sin-ridden condition, but he's made a way if we'll just lift our eyes up to Jesus and walk into the light. But what's at stake? If we walk away as Nicodemus, and I don't really know what happens fully after Nicodemus walks away, but there's no evidence in this passage that it, like the light bulb came on for him and he was like, oh, I get it, okay, I, you know, I give my life to him. So we can walk away and still be scratching our head and saying, okay, that makes sense. I mean, I hear, I hear you, Jesus, but it doesn't make sense. Then uh, I still need to understand how this spirit birth thing works. Like you kind of told me about looking at, a, looking at a bronze serpent, but that doesn't really make sense. Like how does that work? So what's at stake for us if we walk away with that kind of a mindset? Well, one is we remain condemned. We'll stay in the state that we're in we'll still be in a place, if we were in the wilderness, of being snake-bitten. Death is still ultimately the end for us if we don't lift up our eyes. We'll live in darkness rather than light. We'll live for our own purpose and our own glory. And even if we're trying to do those things in the name of Jesus, even if we, you know, Jesus says later in, in the gospel, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do? And they'll list all these things. And Jesus says, apart from me, I never knew you. Because it's not about what we do, it's about have we lifted our eyes to Jesus. And so we can continue to live in darkness for our own purpose and our own glory. And we'll conceal rather than reveal the glory of God. You know, one of the things that we talk about all, a lot around here is that we do, you know, for, the, for God's glory and the good of Tucson. And we say all of life is all for Jesus. Those, th those statements are only true to the degree that we walk into the light that we lift our eyes to Jesus. Because if we do it any other way, we may be doing good works, but it won't be seen that it was carried out in God. And when that's the case, we're concealing rather than revealing God's glory. So what do we do with this? Sort of a couple of kind of takeaways. Well, one is I do want to make just a, a quick differentiation between blind faith and dependent faith. Because it's easy to say, okay, like, what you're really telling me is like, turn off my brain, 
don't really worry about trying to understand stuff, to just take things as they come and, and, and believe it. And that's not what I'm saying. There's a difference between blind faith says, I believe no matter what the evidence shows me. I believe no matter what because I'm gonna, I choose to believe that. But then there's a dependent faith. It says, I'm going to believe because I trust the one who's speaking, because I trust Jesus, because I've seen evidence in the scriptures, I've seen evidence in my life, I've seen evidence in other people's lives of the working of Jesus, of the truth of the scriptures. And so even in this case, you see Jesus appealing to, to Nicodemus to look back at how God has worked in the past and understand that in light of what I'm telling you right now. And so that's a faith that's dependent upon trusting and that means that we don't have to always understand. Just like as a kid, I can go turn the light switch on. I have no idea how electricity works. I have no idea how the circuitry in the house works. But I know because I've seen my dad go flip the light switch and the lights come on, that I can trust that if I go flip the light switch, the lights will come on. I can trust that when I sit in a chair, that that chair will hold me because I see all of you sitting in these same chairs. And so I can trust in that chair. And the scripture is given, and even why John is writing is to point us to the things that give us a reason to trust so that we can have dependent faith, so that when Jesus says or when God calls us to do things that we don't quite understand, when we find ourselves scratching our head like Nicodemus is doing, that we can say, I'll still trust you, I'll still believe. And so I would encourage you, in those times, to go back to Scripture where you're scratching your head and look for reasons to believe and trust in God. A second application point is lifting our eyes toward Jesus, understanding this gospel determines our priorities. It sets the agenda for what we do, and it drives our mission. So I would say, how do, what do we do with this? We trust the simplicity of this gospel, and we let it shape how we respond to respond in all of our lives and to the world around us. And let me just encourage us with a, a vision to think about what life would look like if we could fully grasp the depths of what Jesus is saying here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, whoever lifts up their eyes to him, should not perish, but have eternal life. What if we lifted our, our eyes up to Jesus and our lives up to him beyond all things? What if we were able to step out in a childlike faith more often? In fact, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Luke and in Matthew, he says, unless you have the faith like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So what if we could step out in that kind of childlike faith more often? And then if you look at John, a little spoiler alert, we'll skip ahead a couple of chapters, and we'll end with this. John chapter 12, verse 32. My eyes are getting too, too old for this small text, or my glasses aren't working. Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, church, our, our job in coming into the light and letting the things that, that are done through us be seen as God is it's 
the way of continuing to participate in the lifting up of Jesus. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you that even though we have, were born into this world by nature, objects of your wrath, that we find ourselves by default bitten by snakes in the wilderness, that we find death and condemnation is the way in which we begin, that you loved us in such a way as to not leave us there, and that you made a way, just as you did for Israel in the wilderness, you've made a way for all the world through the lifting up of Jesus upon the cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, you have opened the gates of heaven to us. Father, would you teach us to lift our eyes? If we've never given our lives to Jesus, would you teach us to lift our eyes and help us to have the courage to step out of the darkness into the light and lift our eyes to Jesus for the first time? If we've been walking with Jesus for our whole lives, but sometimes we lose sight, would you just remind us and encourage us and help us to lift our eyes to Jesus once again? Would you let the simplicity of the gospel message get past our intellect, get past our reasoning, get past our need to explain everything that we might have the faith of a child to trust in you and to walk in obedience to you. Father, would you minister to the people of this congregation and Father, help us to walk in the truth of your gospel that everything that we do would be clearly seen as being done through you. In Jesus' name we pray.